Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Good morning, family. Um, I'd encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, to grab one. I think there's some at the back. I can see some. Because we will be doing a bit of reading, and I would love for us to read together as a family. Because it's just, there's a lot that, just from hearing my monotone voice read the passage, you're going to miss. But I know that when we read it together, there's stuff that's going to pop out of you and that's going to jump out of you that's going to make sense. Maybe even stuff that I'm not saying today, because the word is powerful. So if you have a Bible, um, please read along with me. Don't just look at me and listen to my boring voice. If you don't have a Bible, I can see there's some on the back table just over there. And you can grab one from there. Um, This message that I'm going to teach today is... um, I want it to be part of a series eventually, but it's the second part of of, of, um, a series that I shared at Calvary Chapel Leatherhead. Um, I shared last Sunday and then about four weeks previous. Um, Basically looking at the fact that God reveals himself to his creation. The fact that from the beginning of time, from even before man was created because there were certain things set in place that speak of God's greatness but from Adam and Eve in the garden through to Noah through to Abraham Moses um, and through even to us today through the apostles and prophets in the New Testament God is revealing himself everywhere you look everywhere you go God is saying hey it's about me it's all about me I'm the one you need to be seeking And this is us. God's calling us from this direction and we're just off in this way. And I'm immediately talking about non-believers, but today we're going to be talking about how God has revealed himself to us and to his children Israel at the Red Sea. So the previous study I taught was a wide-angle view. It was a wide-angle look at, kind of a, a breeze through all the ways God has showed up and said, hey, I'm here. Um, we see in um, Acts, when Jesus turns up and talks to the guys in the road to Emmaus. It was Acts, no, it was Luke. And um, they didn't even know it was him. He'd been resurrected, and he's walking with them and sharing with them. And only till he broke bread did they go, wow, this was Jesus. But he expounded to them the scriptures, everything that pertained to him, everything that spoke about him. And so here he was, showing up on the scene. They weren't looking for Jesus. They thought he was dead, and he said, hey, I'm here. So that was a wide-angle view, and today we're going to take a a narrow view in looking at one specific example. In Exodus chapter 3, God reveals himself to Moses as the great I am. Moses is off tending sheep. It wasn't a particularly spiritual experience. We're going to pray and we're going to read in a moment, but I just want to have this in our mind. He sees a bush in the distance burning and he goes up to it. And it's God speaking from this bush that was burning but not being consumed. And God revealed himself to Moses. When Moses said, who shall I say sent me? God replies, I am that I am. 
Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you, the all-becoming one, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, from everlasting to everlasting, the great I am. And as Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, even he said before Abraham was, I am. Now, okay, what does this I am mean? I am, that's a bit of a weird thing to call yourself. God is not modeled off of anyone. He's not modeled off of anything. I think it was a a post that Ephraim posted um, yesterday. Basically, God is like none other. If you try and describe what God is like, there's nothing to, to liken him to. He is unique, transcendent, far above and beyond. He is who he is. And that he is self-existing, the all-becoming one. Who is this king of glory, it says in Psalms 24. And it's a kind of question and answer return. In this scenario, we see the great I am, this king of glory, revealing himself to the king of Egypt as the terrible, righteous God of the Israelis, of the, of the Hebrews. Terrible. You see those plagues? You see what he did? You would be right in being terrified if that was against you. But also he shows himself to the Israelites as a mighty leader, the deliverer, the savior, who is always in control, even when it seems like you're in dire circumstances. This is God saying, this is who I am. Let's pray and we'll read through chapter 14 in a moment. Father God, we call out to you and we ask, Lord, that you would lead us through this, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us individually and corporately as a family, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would reveal yourself to us that you would speak into our situations the very truth of who you are. That our hearts would burn with, with just the awareness of your presence saying, hey, this is me. So lead us, Father God, I ask by your spirit. Teach us through your word. And I just thank you that we have this opportunity without fear to open up your word and to seek your face and to say clearly, God, who are you? Reveal yourself to us, I pray today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now I'm going to read the whole chapter of Exodus 14. So if you turn with me, and I would really love if you read along with me, so that, like I said, it's not just my voice you're hearing, but the word of God as you're reading along. I'm reading from the ESV. Chapter 14 of Exodus. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihahiroth. Between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they have wandered in the land, and the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh And his servants was changed towards the people and they said, what is this that we have done? That we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him. And took 600 chosen chariots and all other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and his horsemen, and his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea by Pihahiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. 
When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we had said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so they will, shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of the Lord, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before, from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night, without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning watched the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud look down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us free from, flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon the chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled into it, and the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that God had used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Sorry guys, if you could turn the mic down just a bit, it's quite loud. The people have already seen God deliver them mightily out of Egypt. Mightily. We're talking about ten plagues of severe levels. You're talking about an angel of death that slew the firstborn in every single family. You're talking about um, the rivers and the Nile Delta was what fed the entire land, filling up with blood instead of water. We see them, the Lord leading them out by a cloud in chapter 13, by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. There were as many as 2 million people. It says there were 600,000 men plus women plus children. The very presence of God in the cloud, leading them out as he saw fit, 
but what a mistake. It says here that they were backed against a mountain and the sea and an army chasing them down. He led them to a dead end. Lord, how could you allow this? First thing we noticed, and I think this is something that's really clear, is that it really was God that led them into that situation. It was God who led them by that pillar of cloud into that situation. By God's direct leading, they were in a dead end. They were in a tight spot. Their lives were at risk because they had a mountain on one side, the sea in front of them, and then they had an army chasing them down, ready to take their lives. It wasn't just their foolish wanderings, as Pharaoh had thought. Pharaoh thought, ha, they don't even know where they're going. They're in the wilderness. They've taken a wrong turn. We've got them. He picks some guy from Wacky Races rubbing his hands together or something. Tozer states this when he describes the aspect of God's character in pursuit of God, which I recommend to anybody. Read this book. A.W. Tozer was a guy from Chicago in the 20s and 30s and a great author. Um, the Pursuit of God has been a real blessing. So, um, but this is a quote from this book, talking about God's character. He says, Love and mercy and righteousness are his, so ineffable that no comparisons or figures will avail to express it. Only fire can give even a remote conception of it. In fire he appeared at the burning bush. In the pillar of fire he dwelt through the long wilderness journey. The fire that glowed between the wings of the cherubim and the holy place was called the Shekinah, or the Presence. Through the years of Israel's glory, and when old had given place to new, he came at Pentecost as the fiery flame and rested on each disciple. It's the same God today that was then back there. Doesn't change. They see this speaking really clearly of God's presence. That pillar of fire... That was the Spirit of God leading his people Israel. The flame that was on top of the heads of the disciples when they were in the upper room at Pentecost, the same Holy Spirit, the same leading. The Holy Spirit that dwells in you as a born-again believer, the same fire, the same Holy Spirit. He doesn't change. So what happens when we are headed into these Lord, what now moments? Did he know this was going to happen? How am I going to get out of this situation? And this is the thing. Often we figure it's, I've got to work this out. I've got to get out of this situation. You will not get out of this situation. You won't get out. You will be delivered out. You'll be led out. Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Though I go through the valley, many of us, even now right here, we're in that valley. We're in this place where there's a mountain on one side, a raging sea on the other, and there's an army behind us chasing us down, ready to take us out. Why? Well, if God wasn't in it, I might be able to say, wow, I got out of that one. That was close. It's not even like that. It's not even about us getting out or figuring it out. God is always in control. And the reason for this is twofold. The reason for this has two sides. A bunch of guys wrote down 
sounds very irreverent, I know. Um, a, a series of questions and answers about the Christian faith. It's called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And one of the questions is, what is man's chief end? What is our main goal? What is our main, what's the point of our lives? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That by no means we will come out of that situation and say, how great is our God? The whole point of him purposefully leading them into that situation was so they might come out on the other side blessed and in awe. He leads us into a place where we have no options. No scheming will work this one out. I've told this story the last time I taught, so those of you who heard it before, please forgive me, but it's, it's still impacting me today. To the point where I'm looking for... It sounds really like, oh, what are you doing to yourself? But to the point where you're saying, Lord, when are you going to do this again in my life? When am I going to see your hand powerful again and mighty moving in my life? So forgive me if you've heard this before, but there was a while back... <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because I think most of you have heard it. Um, there was a while back when um, I was living with my sister in Lewisham. And my mum needed a new place for my dad because of his wheelchair, for wheelchair access. And there was no options. There, were no, there was nothing available. There was nothing that was going to be suitable. And um, except for a friend's house. And, and they said, well, we're going to Singapore for a couple of years. Why don't you have our place? Now, if you've seen this place, you'd realize why this is ridiculous. It's a penthouse, two-story duplex overlooking the Thames um, on the Isle of Dogs, and it's £2,500 rent a month. So it's like, my mum was like, well, this is available, what do you think? And I'm like, no way, this is ridiculous. Why would we even ever consider this option? No. So anyway, they prayed about it for a few weeks, and mum was like, look, this is available to us, the council has offered us this much. Um, what we'll need to, for you to do is for your sister to move in with Neil and Camille and give us X amount a month to pay our rent. And you move in with us into a box room and pay X amount of rent. And then the council will pay the rest and there's still about £1,000 left over to pay. And we don't know what we're going to do about that, but we'll see what the Lord does. And the weirdest thing happened. The peace of God just flooded my heart. And it didn't make sense, but it seemed like something was like, okay, okay. Cool. We're going to try this out. We're going to, we're going to go ahead and see. We moved in. Two months, the council, the, my dad's disability housing allowance wasn't coming through. And when it did, it was dreadfully short. And the landlord came knocking of like, hey, I, I know you guys are in a tough spot, but we've got to pay the mortgage on this ridiculously high-priced property. Um, you know, you need to give us £2,000 by next week. And so we heard this news. Mum and Debbie went out. I went and take a, took a shower because I wanted to go on a bike ride to clear my head, and I was freaking out. I was standing in this shower just bawling, just hitting the wall. Lord, why have you done this? What on earth is going on? We are at your mercy. We are in a situation we have nowhere to go. We can't let our friends down. We can't, I can't let my parents down and just run and ditch. Jesus, what's going on? Um, 
I just felt the Lord just give me a picture of his hand and me or our family just standing right in the middle of it. And wherever we go, we're in his hand. And it was like, mercy, please. And I freaked out. Mum went away and prayed and she came back and she said, well, the other day I read a scripture in Chronicles, which we're going to read actually in a moment. Second Chronicles chapter 20, where Jehoshaphat was commanded to go to war. And he was dreadfully undermanned. He was going to be overpowered. And God said, don't worry, you go to war and just stand there and I will fight for you. And I felt like the Lord was saying to us, okay, we're going to go to war. We pulled together all the money we got. That meant food money, bill money, any other money that we had to get us by for that month. We both just got paid and mum had a bit of money. So we pulled it together and said, Lord, this is yours. We're going to step out in faith and go to war like you said. We deposited the money into to, to this family's account and said, okay, that's it. We're not going to eat for the month. Our bills are going to not get paid. We're going to run up debts. It's going to be crazy, but we'll see. But we had a peace and that was the weird thing. That was a really strange thing is that after I freaked out, that is, <laughs> prayed, and I felt the Lord give us just such comfort. Three days later, I think that was the Sunday or the Saturday, and I think on the Wednesday, I received a call from our old landlord that when me and Debbie were living, this dodgy, dodgy landlord. <laughs> um, we thought our deposit was long gone. Flight abroad. The guy, in two years living there, we never even saw him. Just We could have not paid rent and probably got away with it. We didn't. We did pay our rent. It was okay. <laughs> and he goes, um, is that Mr. McBrien? I'm like, yeah. Oh, it's your landlord from such and such and such and such. Um, I've got your deposit. I'm going to put it in your bank today. Where do you want it? And just from the middle of nowhere, deliverance came. And we were able to take care of the bills we needed, take care of the food we needed. And then after that, the housing benefit came through to meant that actually topped up the rest of it so that me and Debbie were able to support mum and dad in the, the sickness and the illness that my dad's got. And it's a situation where we were there, and now by no means can I say anything but, how great is our God? What a great deliverer is the God we serve, you know what I mean? And I'm, I'm glad I shared that story again, because it is the most powerful testimony I have of God's providence since salvation. Obviously, that's the most important, is I'm born again by his grace. There was nothing these Israelites can do. They were at the mercy of God. Verse 9 and 10 says, The Egyptians pursued them all, Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and them camped at the sea by Pihahiroth in front of Baal when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't freak out at that moment in time? But I think this is quite sad because their response is, why didn't you just leave us alone so we could serve these Egyptians? Why, why did you ever deliver us? Why did you ever come down and show yourself mighty and strong on our behalf? And I was happy making bricks, just doing my thing in the dust, just subservient. 400 years they were slaves to the Egyptians. 400 years they were under the whip. 
400 years, they were dehumanized and made to feel like they were less. And then they said, leave us alone that we would serve these Egyptians. I think the same as us with sin. It's a similar situation. Or let's say the crack addict who comes off and the Lord delivers him, but then when he faces difficulties of living a responsible life, with God's grace, he said, you know what? It was better that I was a stoner. It was better that I was out there just... It was, I had no responsibilities. I could just sin and get away. It was just easy. I was, a, I was under the whip. I was under the slavery. The thumb of sin had me. But I was better off. And it's sad. And this is where they were at. And I think I've been there too. It's like, Lord, you know what? I don't want you today. I'd rather just be easy and do my own thing. And go back under the slavery of sin. It's a lie. Because if they only knew what God had in store for them. If they only knew. If you only knew. If I only knew what God had in store for us. The difference of a life lived one, and just, yeah, sure, you're free to sin for a moment. For 70 years, you're free to do what you want to do. And then for all of eternity, then that's it. You're bound now. And now here we, we're, we're called to live a, a righteous, responsible life under God. And we're free forever. Free. You see this hardship ahead and they freak out. I'm not trying to be fatalistic or doom and gloom here. And I'll qualify that statement in a moment. But this is actually the mercy of God. God's putting them through one of the toughest times they've ever experienced for their good. For their mercy. So they can, they can be benefited. For they can be blessed. Like I said, what is man's chief end? To glorify God and to enjoy him. What's enjoyable about this situation? Tell me. How can you be standing in a scenario where you are about to get slain? Literally. And you're telling me this. Are you crazy? You're telling me this is a good thing. God has plans for us. That's why this isn't crazy. God is mighty for us. That's why this isn't crazy. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. What I has, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Romans chapter 8 verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. In Ephesians it says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead indwells you. The spirit of the living God. And not only does he save me, he keeps me. And like I said with that scenario I shared, I'm better for it. I know now, and hopefully I won't lose heart, when I have a family and when I've got children dependent upon me, there's no food on the table, there's no rent money, I can say, Lord, my deliverer, deliver me. Provide for me. And I'm not asking for a, a beam or a murk. I'd love to have one, but right now I just need food. And he is great. Verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. 
For the Egyptians, Egyptians who you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Again, I'd love for you to read this with me because I was um, studying this uh, last week. I was overwhelmed, and it wasn't because I was particularly sugared up that moment in time or hyper at that moment in time. I'd just been studying for the last two hours, and I read this passage. Let's just say I was greatly encouraged. I had to phone Ephraim up and leave him. The message was so long, it beeped, and I had to phone him again to leave the rest of the message. So Second Chronicles chapter 20, I'm going to read from verse... 1 to verse 23. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites... Oh, let me set the scene, sorry. Um, Ahab, the king of the northern tribes, had gone against God's word. He said, should I go and attack such and such? And, and all these false prophets said, yeah, go for it. And then this one guy said, no, don't do it. And he said, just because you're the man, because apparently he kept giving him negative prophecies because you're the man that's saying it right i'm gonna go king of judah are you with me yeah i'm with you he shouldn't have said that they went ahead and they got smacked by this army up in the north syria the ammonites the moabites so now ahab's fleeing jehoshaphat goes back and now they want to attack jehoshaphat for supporting ahab in the northern kingdom after this the moabites verse one and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meonites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and beyond. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is Engedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord, and from the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before the people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you. For your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given, uh, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I'll read on in a moment, but just picture that. I don't know what specific situations you're in. But fall on your knees and say, Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Humble yourself before the Lord. Verse 13, meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord 
with their little ones, their wives and the children. This is great too. We include everybody. I remember when I was growing up, the one, one of the fondest memories I have of, of my dad was whenever there was an issue, kids, come, we're going to go pray. We'd get on our knees in the bedroom, mum, dad, me and my sister as kids, and we'd pray. It wasn't, don't trouble the children. We don't want to stress them out. It was, no, there's a need. We're going to pray as a family. We see here, they're doing the same thing. Verse 14, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Beniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head, with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. They rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise to him, praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. That's the time to worship when you're on the battle line and your life is at risk and you fall down. We sang it today, I'm falling on my knees. Because it's declaring the promises of God in the darkest of situations. It's looking around you and seeing nothing but the armies of the enemy, the devil, your sin, the flesh, your boss, whoever it might be, coming against you and you declare the greatness of God. This is the God that I serve. This is the God that saved me, pulled me out of darkness and into light. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were rooted. For the men of Ammon, Moab, and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. That's just nuts. They devoted themselves to the destruction of the army they marched up with. And then when they've fully done that, then they went against each other. That does not make sense. But this is the Lord we serve. He does things on our behalf. We're his children. And when our lives are on the line, when, when, when the situations are getting dark, this is the God we serve. And I love it, the humility of Jehoshaphat. He's the, he's the king of these tribes and he's bowing himself before, in front of everybody. Guys, we need to get on our knees. Let's not be ashamed to look vulnerable in times of need. Let's not be ashamed to humble ourselves and say, nah, man, I'm sorry, I don't have a clue. But Lord, our eyes are on you. 
This doesn't make sense to me. I don't have a way out. I'm, I'm, a thought that comes to mind is there's a, big te- there's a big stress on men to say, now I've got to be a leader. I've got to take the lead, take the stride. And you push on. The problem is you don't know where you're going. I don't know where I'm going. So how am I supposed to lead if I'm blind, if I don't have a clue? And I don't say this because I'm that guy, but I see guys around me who wait on God and say, Lord, show us which way to go, and then I will press on. Not because I'm, I'm a man, but because I wait on the Lord. And it might look weak. It might look feeble and frail. But the battle is fought on our knees. The strongest place we can be as, and I'm talking to men, but this is applicable to women and children and everyone in this room. The strongest place we can be is when we submit ourselves under the mighty hand of God and say, Lord, it's not my life, but yours. I, don't, I, I might think that I am a great leader. I might be aspiring to be. There might be lots of pressures on me to, to be this man surging ahead. But I need to get on my knees, man. I need to get back in that prayer closet and say, sorry, I need to fix my eyes on the Lord. And then once he's told you go, and this is the problem with me, the Lord will tell me, do this, yeah, go. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, and I don't do what he now he's told me to do. I'm like, actually, I'd rather go to that place. Or that looks more shiny right now. I'm going to go in that direction. And that's the problem often as well is, one, maybe not even getting on my knees. And two, when I have got on my knees, then not being obedient to what the Lord has told me. Tim, cut that out of your life. It's no good. Eh, I'll keep a little bit back. Obedience is better than sacrifice. They simply gave praise to the God Most High. They declared the glory of the Lord, and he waged war for them. 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 27 states, But God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. A lot of people hear that. A lot of non-believers hear that. A lot of non-Christians think, Who is this God to demand my praise? Who's this, this, this whoever he is to say, worship me? Isn't that a bit egotistical? And He doesn't deserve my praise. That's like going up to a da Vinci portrait and saying, I don't need to admire that. It's a load of rubbish anyway. Imagine that times 10. God is deserving of our praise. I do feel sorry for these people like Richard Dawkins, like Christopher Hitchin, who big up themselves on TV and they defy the living God. He wrote a book, Richard Dawkins wrote a book, The God Delusion. And to be honest, I really feel sorry for them because there is a point where every knee will bow. And this is what we see here in Exodus chapter 14, is Pharaoh had exalted himself to the heavens. The Pharaoh was declared God. We see this sort of the scenario with Nebuchadnezzar. He's looking around his kingdom and he's like, hmm, look at this kingdom that I have made. How great is this kingdom that I have made? 
And then God struck him down. And for seven years, he was on his hands and knees eating grass like a beast. Seven years. And that was mercy. Because at the end of it, he got back up again with a right mind and said, Man, now I know there is a God in heaven. This is what God did to Pharaoh. So not only was it one hand for the benefit of the Egyptians, it was also for God's glory that these men might know. And I'm sure in his last moments, as that sea was crashing down in his chariot, Pharaoh was like, gosh, this is the God that I've stood against. Let's run because the God of Israelites fights for them. I do feel sorry for these people like Richard Dawkins, like Christopher Hitchin, because even Christopher Hitchin had cancer. And he, I heard him even say, like, I know there's a lot of Christians out there praying for me. And whilst I thank you for the sentiment, don't waste your words. Huh? This is grace being extended to you that the people who you cuss daily, the God that you despise moment by moment, is showing the care and love for you. And there's just a hardness of heart. And I just, we need to pray for these people. We need to pray that they'll get saved. We need to pray that the Lord will open their eyes and they'll humble themselves and they'll just say, wow, there is a God in heaven. The temptation, though, for me is often to forget as well that there is a God in heaven. The temptation for me is to forget. I see all these great things. I see, you know, the parting of the Red Sea. I see God's deliverance in my life. I see his... I'm aware of the forgiveness of sin. And I forget that there is a God in heaven. And I go about my daily life forgetting. I get the impression that Israel saw a lot of God's wonders throughout the years of their deliverance from Egypt through the wilderness journey. They saw a great deal. But it makes me wonder if they ever actually knew God personally. Because there was only one man that I saw at the tabernacle when everyone had gone who stood there and waited upon God, and that was Joshua. And it's a beautiful picture. It says that when they would go up daily to the tabernacle to receive judgments from, from God and from Moses over different issues. And then when everyone was gone, Joshua would be there on his knees before the Lord, still waiting on him. It says in Philippians that you might know him in the power of his resurrection. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so thirsts my soul after you, O God. Often I really don't want him, and I'm being real with you. There's times when I'd rather do something else. The guys in my house know how much I'd rather be on my computer playing video games or watching TV. But I tell you what, I want to want him. I, I want more of him. And it's, I see a problem and I want it to change. If I have sin, let me run to the cross and have his blood cleanse me from all of my unrighteousness. If I have a mountain, a red sea, an army bearing down on me, let me call out to him and let me wait and see the salvation of the Lord. If I lack wisdom, it says in James, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask and it shall be given. If we don't have a heart for him or I feel stale, ask for a fresh heart. Ask for that fire that you saw in Pentecost in the upper room. Lord, set me a light. Burn me up for you. Set me on fire for you. A fresh heart. 
says that we can draw near to him with full assurance of faith. We can come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. You know, there's a lot of promises in this book. There's a lot of promises where God says, hey, this is for you. This is for you. This is for you. Let's stand on them. Let's claim them in a sense of, Lord, you said that you're going to give me victory in these areas of my life. Lord, I need these victories now. Lord, you said that you're going to cause me to to become more like you. You said that if I draw near to you, you'll draw near to me. Lord, I'm here. Draw near to me. And it's knowing what his promises are in the spirit, for the spiritual things in our life, and then claiming them, standing on them, acting them out. And like he said, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we see how you led these people into that situation. We see how you purposed for them to suffer for a little while, only to see the greatness of God displayed and the blessings of God poured out. Father God, I pray you would help me, that you would help us to submit ourselves to you and to trust you, to follow you, Lord, I want to go in one direction, but you're saying, wait. But Lord, this seems like it's a really good place to go. Lord, help me to wait on you. And then when you lead me forward, help me to trust in you and to follow you. Lord, I know I can't do this on my own, so we ask that you would help us by your spirit. Lord, that you would set us on fire, that you would light us up with your presence, Lord, with the power of your spirit that you would enable us to see your promises and to trust in them, to see your power. Father God, we, like I said, we, we don't always want you, but I know right now I want to want you more. Help us to prioritize, Lord. Help us to put you first, to set you up on the throne of our hearts in your rightful place and whatever is there that we would tear it down. Lord Jesus, we need you. Desperately, we need you. And I thank you that you are more sovereign than I. Lord, I thank you that you don't ask me permission before leading me to the Red Sea. But you do ask me to trust you when I'm there. So, Father God, thank you that you are a better person than me and that you are in control that you are in charge that you are sovereign and trustworthy so we give you this day Lord we thank you for your grace thank you that you love us in Jesus name Amen